Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 257, covering Basics Part 2 and Flashback. Hi friends, time for season three of Voyager. I had to stop and think, is it three already? Where are we in this show? It feels like season 12, but it also still kind of feels like season one. It's weird. It it is weird. It's like the show has been on. It doesn't feel like the show's evolved at all, you know? No. In, In some ways, I will give it credit. It feels more fully formed and more sort of like higher hit ratio than certainly next gen was at this point Mm -hmm. maybe about the same as early ds9 because about half the episodes of ds9 were good Mm -hmm. early days yeah but the bad episodes of ds9 were still way better than the bad episodes of voyager i would say that is true mostly because of the characters there weren't a lot of characters on ds9 i didn't like whereas about half of them on this show (laughs) i don't care for so and then of course there's the ones that i'm wildly indifferent to I, well, which is the bulk of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's as as a listener pointed out uh, when they wrote into the uh, supplemental. It's it's not the bad episodes. It's the drudgery. It's the same yes. thing over and over again. Ugh. Which, hooray! But first, we need to. Uh, what do we need to? Oh, the uh, the the thrilling conclusion to last last season's uh, thrilling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Why don't you tell us about Basics Part Two, Matt? I will tell you about Basics Part Two. All so, right. so the Voyager crew struggle to survive in their new home, a planet so dangerous that it should probably be in a video game. Neelix becomes complicit in the murder after he orders a lieutenant to pick bones, and said lieutenant is devoured by the evil dead, or possibly a very fast cameraman. Back on the vo- back on Voyager, newly renamed the SS Kickass by its new crew, Seska shakes down the Doctor about whether he can lie and possibly mutiny. The doctor lies and says, of course not. Then he and crewman Suter go diehard on Voyager, which is pretty great. Back on the planet, an angry Janeway shakes worms at her crew, and Neelix and Kess are captured by cavemen, who hope to sacrifice Neelix to their dark gods. Their dark gods do not want him. Chakotay shows them how to invent the wheel, which he then throws at them, and they escape. Directly into the cave that ate that lieutenant earlier. Nice one, guys. Back on the kick-ass, Suter has fallen off the no-killing wagon, and he isn't exactly thrilled about it. The doctor gives him a pep talk about his first-do-harm philosophy, but it doesn't really work out. Anyway, it doesn't matter, because Seska and the idiot patrol find out about the doctor's lies and then shut him off. Back on the planet, Chakotay, Neelix, and Cass try to sneak past the sleeping dragon, in the best tradition of old Sierra games, but then Neelix bumbles on it because Neelix is a bumbler. Luckily, the crew manages to drop the cave on the dragon by use ca- use explosive on cave. Then Chakotay rescues the caveman's beautiful daughter from a lava pit, and they are now part of the tribe. Janeway plays the bongos on a stormtrooper helmet. Back on the kick-ass, Paris has arrived with reinforcements? Well, they're Talaxians, so their ships are made of hair. But he manages to de- disable the kick-ass with trickery and lasers, and a little help from everyone's friendly neighborhood sociopath suitor who was shot in the back over a matter of $80. Also, Seska finally dies, thank God. And her baby was actually the Kazon captain, guys, because biology states that if a Kazon and a Cardassian have a baby, it'll look like a human with a spoon for a head. 
Anyway, the kick-ass picks up the crew and everyone goes home. Except for Harry Kim, who has been forced to marry a tree. <laughs> this one time I hugged the tree. <laughs> Hug it. Keep on hugging it. Hug it. Hug it up now. Hug it down. Why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to do this? You mentioning uh, Janeway playing the bongos just made me picture her in, like, dark shades, wearing a beret. <laughs> cool, daddy-o. I wrote a poem here. Darkly dreaming. Ice <laughs> burns like fire. That's pretty good. Coldness. That's, that's, that's Lug- not bad. Lugubrious. Lugubrious? There's a scene in Grim Fandango where you can, ah. you can go into a uh, into a uh, beatnik club, uh, and it lets you pick dialogue options to write a poem. Oh, that's pretty it's, good. It's great, and one of them is, is just great. him going lugubrious. <laughs> there were aspects of this episode I really liked, and aspects I really didn't the, like. Like this is I mean this is my good thing. This episode is very very pulpy. And I love that. Like, there are scenes, like, any of the scenes where the Doctor and Suter are doing their whole diehard thing. Suter's, like, sabotaging stuff on the ship and, like, killing guys and everything. I love that crap. And Mm -hmm. we keep getting scenes where the crew is down on the planet attacking dragons with spears and stuff. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. I... You didn't like, actually, let's go ahead and do your bad thing. And also, you didn't like the cavemen. No, I hated the cavemen. They're fucking terrible. Okay. Tell me why you think they're terrible. I don't know, I'm, the I design don't... in them is really good. But, like, I just, anytime they were on screen, I'm like, shut up, cavemen. Okay, there's but that why? Whole, there's that whole scene after they've captured Kess and Neelix, and they're just in a circle, like, literally banging their chest like a guy dress, dressed as King Kong. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is terrible caveman acting. You're all terrible cavemen. Uh, so you think they're bad actors? I guess I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to pinpoint what your problem I is. I just with them. yeah, everything about them just like oh, shut up, caveman. See, I think I I don't know. Like I've seen Star Trek try to do this before, like the uh, the primitive guys on the planet, mm-hmm. and I think they did it more effectively here than they have before. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. And I this isn't my good thing. Like I have a better good thing than this, but this was a good thing. They were I liked more than one thing about this episode, thankfully. I like um, two things. The, I like two whole things. Uh, maybe three. Ooh. Now, there were, like, it was a more effective use of a planet than I think I've ever seen in any of the modern Trek series. Uh, well, I mean, any any Trek at all, I would I say. I would definitely agree with that. Like, There's more space. Like, they're not just crammed in one corner of a public park. No, there's actually, there's actually a feeling of, uh, like, vastness, you know? Yeah, you mentioned that there's a lot of running around, and I think it's because, like, that's part of it. Because we cover a lot of ground. Yeah. We feel like there's more to this planet than a tiny little habitable square. No, it, li- it literally feels like the like the crew, which is you know pretty big, is actually spreading out across this planet. Right, and we see different like it's not like Star Wars rules where the whole planet is one environment. Yeah. Like we saw a grassy field, we saw some like mountainous area with a cave, mm-hmm. we saw some like volcanic area, like which I guess is still mountainous, but you know what I mean. Like there's different feelings different looks it's not all one color it's not all one temperature you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it felt more like a planet and part of that for me was the cavemen there was probably 15 or 20 of them yeah and and i liked that i liked that it wasn't three guys in fur coats just like going ugh (laughs) like they put a little more effort into it than usual and even up to and including 
what you called a dragon, but it was really more of like a snake eel worm kind of Yeah, it looked monster. like a worm with like weird little uh, crawly leg things. It was cool. It was a good like design. Like a centipede. Yeah, 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 there you go. It was, yeah, it was. And the CG maybe hasn't aged so well, but I mean, it's from 20 years ago and this level of CG on television at that point yeah. was still pretty new. I'm not, and... not going to fault them for the monster looking like it was from 1994 or whatever because it was from no. 1994. Exactly. But like, no, it was it, it was well like like I say, movies were using CG at this point, but not even like I mean for glimpses of monsters in horror movies mm-hmm. or whatever, but not for extended like like I, I say what you will about the Phantom Menace, but that was the first movie as I recall that had characters that were fully CG in interacting with yep. live action, like and that was 1999, and that was the biggest budget movie there was. Yep. Like. The fact that they they got a monster on screen that we knew we could tell what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We bought that our characters were in danger. Like, good, good, good pushing the envelope. Like, I'm, I'm willing to forgive the fact that it looks a little cheesy now because it was effective. I yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. Like, it's, and I love anytime Star Trek wants to fight a monster. I like anytime aliens are not humanoid. Yeah. I've said that many, many times. Like, the more alien, you know, the more they feel like aliens... Mm-hmm. The, the better I am. And that's part of why I didn't hate the cavemen is because they didn't, I, mostly because they couldn't understand them. Yeah. Was a big part of it for me because you always beam to the planet and it's always communicating with them. And I get why that is for a storytelling reason, mm-hmm. but it was nice for once because they didn't have any of their stuff. They couldn't understand them and they had to communicate on sort of like a basic level. And I don't know. I like that. Janeway should but have it, told I, them about Darmok. <laughs> <laughs> and Jalada Tenegra when the walls fell. Right. Um, but I liked um, I liked the look also uh, more effect stuff. I liked the look of the lava, like the the uh, erupting volcano. Yeah. And the, the advancing lava, all that looked pretty good. That, there's a it, great shot when it's just like you get to see like the sea of lava. Yeah. It looks really cool. Yeah. No, it was like I said, it, I, I believed more that they were on a real planet and not just a back lot or mm-hmm. whatever. Or like I say, the corner of a of a public park than I ever did. There were some bad attempts at matching entering what was clearly a real cave and then being on the planet hell, papier mache yep. like uh, <laughs> fake cave. No, there's a there's a scene you pointed out to me right at the beginning where uh, they enter into a very real cave that is definitely exists in the real world. And also, then- the part of it is scale because mm-hmm. the the entry to the cave is giant. Yep. And then the ceiling of what they're in is like two feet over their head. Mm-hmm. This is a very odd cave, Miss <laughs> Mister Tubak. It's this part is made of stone, but this part is made of some kind of sticky, papery. Uh... I just tore right through this rock. <laughs> Look at that! Yeah, hey, this is full of newspaper. But yeah, so I—I I mean, I in general, I liked all that stuff on the planet. I just—I didn't like all the character stuff, really. Yeah, I—I I liked the look of everything, mm-hmm. and I liked the variety of it all, and I liked, as you say, the pulp a- aspect of it of them building bows and arrows and spears. No, there's something I re- to fight monsters. There's something I really like about spacemen who get abandoned on like a uh, on a primitive planet. It's I that's, don't. It, that's very that feels very Flash Gordony to me for some reason. Uh it is a bit. But it's also like, like, I don't want to see that every week, but every now and then it's cool. No, but it's something I like. So it's, you know, it's that 19, it's a 1930s sci-fi thing, which we've always said we would like to see more of on Voyager. I That's one direction I think they could take it. Yeah. I would say also Doctor Who did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very effectively, I would say. Yeah. 
Um, but all the character stuff, primarily because we focused a lot on Neelix. Oh, yeah, Neelix uh, gets a guy killed in this episode, for one thing. He does, but it's also, like, Kess gets kidnapped. She, and Neelix... she gets captured. Of course. They're going to capture me. <laughs> and he goes, he, he does the whole alpha male thing. Mm-hmm. Don't you touch my woman. And, like, the way his body language is, like, you know, standing square-shouldered in front of them. Like, come on, you're not fooling anybody. I'm going to bring down my pudgy wrath on you all. I'm gonna pee on you. I didn't like That'll that. show you whose territory this is. Now it's my like, now it's my couch. Uh, just uh, Neelix, you know you're not allowed on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now I got to get one of those sticky roller things to get all the hair off. Oh God! It's my but couch. Like, I filled it with hair. Between spending so much time with Neelix, who really just needs to die at this point. Yeah, that would be fine. I would really be happy if you know the Evil Dead camera had eaten him instead. Well, that was my bad thing, was that terrible POV. Okay, I in the Evil Dead, yes. I think that shot worked, mm-hmm. that, that crazy POV, because Evil Dead is a low-budget movie which was very innovative for having $6 to make it. Yep, and making and, a really pretty kick-ass movie. Yeah, it did a really good job with almost no resources. But when you make a big-budget thing and you use that effect, it doesn't work as well for me. No. It, it looks like you're trying to be edgy, and it fails. There's a way to do that. Like, they, they use it, obviously, in the Evil Dead remake, and it actually works pretty well there, too. But here it's just like, oh, I'm the scary cameraman. Well, it just it to me, it looked like they were trying to do an X-Files thing. Mm. Because at this point, the X-Files was on the air and very popular... They're like, ooh, people like POV shots. Scary, it's coming for him now. Scream. Uh, okay, whatever. Well, and, and it's always, it, they're always the same because they always end with the camera getting right up to the a- actor and the actor going, no, which never right. looks good. And the music swells. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we break for commercial. Right. So I, I didn't love that, but I, all the all the character stuff focused on Neelix or Chakotay, which, okay, he's the survivalist. I get why they're focusing on him, mm-hmm. but I would have liked maybe more with Janeway being, I mean, Janeway is a let's get down to business. We got a problem to solve kind sure. of person, and I like that about her, and I don't want to see her moping or crying or anything, but on the other hand, when a captain loses their ship in Star, in Star Trek, it's about the biggest deal that there is. Yeah. And maybe they could have done more with that. I'm just spitballing. See, like what, stuff I, I, what I like is what we see of Janeway in this episode. She's fucking pissed off. And I love no, that. I love that. I absolutely do love that. But maybe some asides with Tuvok, mm-hmm. her trusted confidant. Yes. Where she could say, I lost my ship. That is just, this is, they tell you in captain school, there's one rule. Don't, don't lose, lose your ship. ship. And I, I did it. And I already, I, lost lost, I already lost it. But at least then I was with it. No, I didn't lose it. I just. Like, nobody knows where it is, but I know where it is. You know, if I don't return that ship by the end of the series, I have to pay for it. <laughs> How am I going to do that? Kickstarters don't exist anymore. They're going to take my dogs, Tuvok. My dogs. <laughs> no, they're going to break her dog's thumbs. There's two things we know about old Janeway. One, she's got an old dog she likes to work on. <laughs> but, like, I, I'm just, for example... A character I wouldn't have minded spending more time with would have been Janeway. That's one thing they mm-hmm. could have done. I also or, like uh, uh, arrowed up Tuvok, ready to go to war. Well, I liked uh, Chakotay's like, oh, you're making bow and arrows? That's great. You know, not every Indian knows how to use a bow and arrow. And Tuvok's like, yeah, I know. I taught archery class at Starfleet, ass. Yeah. 
I'm, it's not all about you. Well, why would I make you a bow and arrow? I still hate you. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he really does. It's great. But like we focused on like, and I get again, I get Chicote is the survivalist. That's one thing. Like I have a lot of criticisms about the character, but that's one thing I'm willing to buy. And it's one thing when we're on hostile planets like last week mm. or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Like, he's the guy who's good at that, and I have no problem with that. Mm. That's fine. But I just didn't care about him, like, trying to work with these villager cavemen guys and trying. It just, it wasn't very interesting. It wasn't presented very interesting. Yeah. Is all. I also didn't care about uh, Paris's adventures and the shuttlecraft trying to get a whole, like, group of Neelixes to come rescue the ship. Yeah, because that, that'll be useful. We're here to help out. Yeah. I'm going to use my penis-looking nose to help you. <laughs> Got to get Talaxian genitals in there somewhere. Of course I do. There's three things we know about the Talaxians. <laughs> Every, um, everything they have is made of hair. Their noses right. look like penises. And their organs are being continuously stolen. Right. Not not just by the Vidians, but... No, just in general. Role. Like, yeah. a Talaxian falls over and he's going to lose, like, uh, like at least one lung. Of course. Um, Where'd it go? I do like... The look of Voyager shuttles, I don't know if I pointed this out before, mm. but I like that they're more sort of aerodynamic looking. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about the it, um, the design on Voyager is a much more sleek version of the Enterprise, and the that sort of design is, like, reflected in the shuttles. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess there's no particular reason for them to be boxy or that uh, you know like like aerodynamic. Like, they're, they're designed to fl- fly in atmosphere, so you'd think they'd be pointy anyway. Mm-hmm. It's always weird to me that they went with the square design before. Got to cut down on wind resistance in space. But that's the thing. Shuttles are for going to the planet. Yes. So I get that. I, starships can look however you want because they're not really, although this starship lands, so that's a little different. But I don't know. I like I like the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, my good thing, though. Yes. Uh, was Suter, again. Because... Um, he, like, for the longest time is struggling. He's like, I know we got to get these guys off the ship, but I'm trying so hard not to kill. Can we not? And and for a long time, all of his, like, problem solving, like, there's a couple of different things he does that are non-lethal. Yeah. Which I really like. He's trying desperately to just sabotage the computer or, like, knock people out or whatever. And eventually he's pushed to the point where, okay, it's either kill these guys, like, step up and kill these guys, or they'll just lose the ship forever. Yeah. Those are my options. And I just, I like for the longest time, he's trying really hard to do his part because he wants to help, mm. but he doesn't want to kill anymore. And it's a good conflict. I love, there's a scene where he brings the Kazon, like he finally kills a Kazon to get its weapon and he brings it back to sickbay and he's just like, I had to kill him too. I don't know. He brings the body this. to the doctor. Yeah. Look, look what I killed. I brought you this. This is for you. I don't know why he sounds like Buffalo Bill, but he does. Well, because he's, they keep calling him a psychopath and a serial killer and so forth. So, I'm going to put you know. this case on in a pit. Lower <laughs> my little dog. Um, but I, I, you know, I liked him. It was another, another good. Like it was the final part of his arc. He's dead. Yeah. I also like they didn't go for that standard cliche of like he had dying words for Tuvok. It would have been for either Tuvok or the captain or maybe the doctor since he bonded with the doctor, but like someone he was close to. Yeah. No, I love his last, like, you know, his last thing is he pushes the button that's going to save the ship and, you know, then he dies. Right. No, it's a, so, it, for, for a character that's only been in three episodes, he has a great arc. Yeah. No, and it, and it goes to show you that it, like, 
so much of my complaints about episodic TV shows are they expect us to care about characters we only get to meet briefly. Mm-hmm. But this show, I would say, when it when it's on, mm-hmm. and it's not always on, but when it's on, they've given us a lot of good one or two appearance characters that we've really been invested in. I mean, we were we were sort of devastated by the death of Tuvix, who existed for 40 minutes. Yep. And this guy's only been in three episodes or maybe four. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a good, like, when they when they do it well, they do it very well. Mm. No, I, I, I would even go as far as to say uh, Pell or Claire, as you call her. Yes, Claire. Yeah, there's another one. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is another character that I would like to have seen, if not stick around, then at least, you know, stayed as a supporting character that shows up every now and again. I don't know. I liked this. I liked what they yeah, did. Yeah, no, you're right. And they didn't milk it for too long. They did a good little bit of serialization without, like, this could have been another Tom Paris's hair is messed up for 10 episodes mm-hmm. thing. And instead, they didn't do that. They yeah. just jumped like, okay, we did it. We did. Here's where he came from, and here's where he's going. And it was a nice little like arc. There's there's something I like about uh, the idea of a sociopathic person in the Star Trek universe, where that's not really a thing anymore. Right. That's sort of something I'd like to see more of. You know, it's yeah. Like, how does but this on the guy, other how hand, how does this guy work in like? <laughs> like a world where like none of this should make any sense anymore. I I like they basically went out on a high note though. Mm. No, that's true. Because as as we have heard, we're gonna get sick of the Borg yes. in a bit. Whereas right now they're a cool idea that I want to see a little bit more of. But there's there's such a thing as giving you too much of that. No, you're absolutely right. Like if he's gonna go out, this was the perfect way to do it. Yeah. No, and like like uh, Memory Alpha calls this the redemption, like Suter's redemption arc, mm. and that's that's accurate. Yes. Sometimes the things they describe as arcs are basically here are all the appearances of this character. That that's not really an arc. This yeah. was a true character arc where he was like his conflict was introduced, and then he dealt with his conflict, and then he resolved his conflict. Mm. Like that's what a, that's what an arc is. <laughs> so that was good. It's way better than the uh, Lieutenant Kyle's mustache arc. Which, yeah, but, you know, I mean, that was good foreshadowing, you have to admit. That it was. It took, I've never seen finer foreshadowing in all of Star Trek. Right. Um, oh, Belana had a good moment where she threw some rocks at people. She sure did. <laughs> they're, they're, at the, like, they're defending themselves from these cave dudes, and, like, they're just, like, the, something about the way she was doing it was just, like, okay, this is her time to shine. Yep. Time to start throwing. Throw I, there's been no engineering. There's been no engineering problems for me to solve here. What what can I do to be useful? Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like so, Balana. What do you bring to the crew now that we're shipwrecked? Well, I'm really good at engines that we don't have anymore. So let me throw a rock at somebody. Yep. Hey, loser. Thunk. Hey. Oh, uh, <laughs> back to the um, back to the Kazon or the the kickass as you called it. Yeah, the the SS kickass. I assume they put up their rebel flags everywhere too. Oh yeah. Hopefully, Painted a big I, old, uh, what do you call it, uh, Confederate flag on the saucer section. Right, exactly. God, the, I hate um, them. <laughs> you, you do hate them. The, um, the I, I don't know for sure. Gav said that this is what he remembers, and I don't necessarily want anyone to write in and tell us, because mm. we'll find out. But I think this is the last we see of these guys. Fingers crossed. So if you want to get in your... Um, you know, your redneck jokes now is the time. I just, I keep, I really wanted them to get back to Voyager and, like, just the the place to be completely trashed. 
Like just yeah. empty liquor bottles everywhere that they've mm-hmm. pulled open the replicator to try to get the, at the food that they think is inside of it. Like it's a vending machine. <laughs> yeah, that feels about right. There's just garbage lying everywhere. I love, yep. I love that. Like, um, you mentioned this when we were watching it. Uh, Paris can basically defeats Voyager with his shuttlecraft because they're so terrible at, uh, at running Voyager. They have no oh, idea. God, what the dude doing. is like, what has happened? Like, the, his reaction is so disproportionate. He's shooting me with some kind of a beam. I don't understand it. Like, really, you've never had a space fight before. He's shooting phasers or lasers or whatever at you. I don't like, understand. What? What is happening now? There's a there's a there's another guy digging around in engineering and the head Kazon yells at him and is like, Why didn't you do this? And the guy's like, I thought I did. I don't know. I'm sorry for what I done. <laughs> okay, so what happened to uh Seska's baby? I don't know. Watch the episode twice, still not clear on that. I, uh, like everyone like all of the Kazons and shit died when that energy pulse thing yeah. went off. Like everyone died. Yeah. I would think that this is another dead Voyager baby, and, you know... Could be. Like, unless we ever see it again, I'm going to assume that that is another dead Voyager baby. So do we need to start, like, a Battlestar Galactica-style chalkboard of, like, dead babies? I think we might have to. We're up to, what? Two dead babies and th- four dead children have so far appeared on uh, Voyager. I think there's more than that, but I don't feel like slowing the show down to think about yeah, no. it. But I feel if like if you guys know like of any more. more dead children that have appeared on uh, Voyager, uh, you know, yeah, let us know. Yeah, somebody if somebody wants to take up the keeping track of that, we would love yeah. it. Just uh, I didn't expect uh, this many dead babies. A lot of dead babies. This feels like an Amanda job. She loves yeah. dead babies. Yeah, but you know, paying attention to things <laughs> and you know, not so much. Helping. That's really the word I was <laughs> grappling for That's the there. big one right there. Helping. Yeah. yeah. Being any kind of... Being useful. You know, right. No, no. She's totally capable of being useful, just not supportive. Yes. There you go. There's there's the divide. Uh, my, my last note here is, okay, they have, they have these cave people there mm-hmm. who they've already sort of interfered with, and then they see this starship show up. Yep. So, meh, prime directive, meh, whatever. Yeah, not our problem. No, they don't even mention it. Cavemen are already drawing pictures of Voyager in the sand. <laughs> yep. Oh, also, I think uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew did a really good job when they get the ship back. There's just some good facial acting. Oh, yeah. Well, that goes back to her whole mad thing, I think, where yeah. she comes in, she sits down, she's like, fuck yes. I, I won. T- I still feel like, and again, I'm not necessarily saying I know what what would have been a better story exactly, but I think focusing more on her would have been a good choice. Yeah, Because Captain losing ship, big deal. It should be, yeah. That sh- it big, should be treated as a big deal. Yeah, big emotional deal. Like, mm-hmm. character stuff, we want to get inside her head and see, like, just how upset yeah. she is about it all. And the fact and that, it, like, and the fact that she, at the end of the day, didn't do anything to get it back, like... No. There was she, nothing... I mean, she couldn't, in fairness. No, but, like, you know... Yeah. The, she gets Voyager back through... Like the actions of Paris and the Doctor yeah. and Suter, like that is true, and and, and some the incompetence and the incompetence of the uh, of the case. Oh, thank God for that. That was definitely really. Thank God for the incompetence of the case. Yeah. first time I've ever heard you say that. Yep. All right. Anything else? Uh, no. You got a quote? Uh, I do have a quote. Actually, this is the Doctor. 
lying to everyone in a moment I really enjoyed. Very well. Since you are obviously about to disable my program anyway, let me take the credit I deserve. I did sabotage the ship. All by myself. With the computer's help, of course. As a matter of fact, one of your crewmen came in unexpectedly and caught me in the act. You killed him. He left me no choice. Why create a Thoron leak if you're not hiding someone? I would think it's obvious. To make you believe I was hiding someone. I've had your people crawling through the bowels of the ship for hours looking for an intruder. <laughs> you're more talented in the art of deception than you led me to believe. I was inspired by the presence of a master. That was good, especially as a payoff to the earlier conversation where she yes. was like, can you lie? It's like, can I lie? No, Why would I lie? I like that, like, you know, because Seska, you know, always thinking. She's a Cardassian. Yeah, so she's always like, trying to, she's always staying a step ahead of, you know, yeah. our guys. And, you know, about 18 steps ahead of the Kazon, I would say. Oh, yeah. At least. Well, that's the thing is I've always liked her, just her. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was hoping there'd be more, like, more of her bossing the Kazon around or, like, scenes of her without them. And there was one good scene between her and the Doctor. Yeah. Because it was her being her and not having to, you know, bow to them. But, yeah, the the setup was, can you lie? Mm -hmm. And the payoff was your quote there, which is great. (laughs) Which is, I can absolutely lie. I'm lying right now. Or Mm -hmm. or am I? (laughs) Suddenly he splits into two holograms. This doctor only tells lies, and this doctor only tells the truth. <laughs> All right. Moving forward now to an episode called Flashback. Tuvok is enjoying, well, I say enjoying, he's having breakfast in the company of Neelix, and presumably saving up more material for a holodeck choke session later in the day. <laughs> then he's mercifully called to the bridge. Except Neelix is also called to the bridge, which means they'll probably have to share a turbo lift and God damn it, how have I not gotten a medal from Starfleet for not murdering this horrible troll doll? <laughs> anyway, the big news is that Voyager has found a cloud. This cloud makes Tuvok dizzy, or something like that. Don't worry, it's a Brog episode. They explain it 17 times before the first act break. And they do exactly that. Now, Tuvok's seeing recurring images of a little girl plummeting off a cliff to her almost certain death. And he thinks Voyager is in Klingon space. Bell, understandably, raises an eyebrow at him. An eyebrow that says, Stow the racism, Grandpa. Klingon hate went out with those giant earpieces the communications officer used to wear. Huh. Weird that I would mention the original series. So anyway, more explaining. Synaptic pathway degradation. Destabilizing memory engrams. Finally, the true culprit is discovered. Some kind of a virus has been living in Tuvok's brain. A virus that makes him remember a little girl plummeting off a cliff to her almost certain death. Thankfully, the doctor increases the Thoron radiation treatments to 80 kilodynes and the false engrams, which Tuvok has been seeing because the virus fed on neural peptides and bypassed his immune system. The day is saved, and once again we are reminded that there's no problem Brannon Braga can't create with Technobabble that he also can't solve with Technobabble. Thanks, Brennan. Good job. Did I leave anything out? Nope. Not that I can think of. Oh, right. Captain Sulu appeared in a brief cameo. Yes. Very brief camp. Yeah, so basically, this one, this is part of the, what, 30th anniversary celebration? Yeah, it was the 30th anniversary. This aired around the same time as Trials and Tribulations did on the The Superior episode. Even Braga admits that, Mm -hmm. to his credit. Yeah, well, you can't, I'm sorry, but you can't uh, look at uh, Trials and Tribulations and go, I think I did better than that. Yeah. With my show flashback. Really, this is my bad thing. He has said, 
that he's not a big fan of the original series. Why give him the homage episode? You yeah. have other writers. You have surely you have someone on that staff who is a big fan of the original series. Well, I was going to say Ron Moore, and then I realized that he was too busy doing the good episode, doing trials and tribulations. Yeah. But surely one of the writers on on staff, um, uh, Pillar or Biller or. I don't know, Miller. I would like to believe that, but I can also see a Voyager, you know, a Voyager staff that, like, is basically hired on, like, well, you know, we don't want to do anything like the original series anymore. That's old. That's fine that you don't want to do anything like it. I would say DS9 didn't do a lot like it, but they still respected Mm -hmm. it. No, other than some lip service from uh, Janeway at the end of the episode, which felt really unearned, like, there's really sort of nothing. I, I would say less. Uh, I, I, I disagree with you with the Janeway thing. Actually. Really? I think she when Okay. So the part I left out, because really, I was really super pissed off that there's maybe 10 or 15 minutes of Sulu in this 45 minute episode. Yeah. Most of it is seriously explaining all this bullshit about Tuvok's brain. It's a standard Braga stuff. Mm-hmm. Standard. Here's a techno babble, blah, 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 virus, blah. Who cares? We don't just just say that in the teaser Mm -hmm. and get us to the thing we want to see, which is a cool story set during the events of Star Trek six from the Excelsior's point of view. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Like he was such a supporting cutaway to a different monitor guy in six he was like basically a glorified cameo in star trek six it would be great to see what happened in that movie from his point of view yeah i mean the thing that makes trials and tribulations work so well is that they don't spend a lot of time on the premise they just like it's not important to the episode no orb of time whatever it's stupid but let's just get on with it yeah but this i mean seriously it is three acts until we show up on the excelsior for the first time Mm -hmm. it is halfway through the episode yeah before we see george takei there and and Grace Lee Whitney and the rest. Oh, man, okay. But Takei was great. No. Oh, like, man, Takei's my good thing. It was so nice seeing him again. It's been so long since I've seen Sulu. Yeah. And he got- well, I mean, for us, we kind of thought we were done with all those guys the way we're doing the show. Yeah, absolutely. And here's one final surprise where you get one of those guys one last time. It's yeah. great. No, and goddamn, he is... This would have been... Uh, what, this was years? five years. This was five years after Star Trek VI. So they're all basically still roughly the same age. So they all look the same and like... Like, they talked in Memory Alpha a bit about how they look older or whatever, but it's fi- the, the the Star Trek VI was made in 91, this was made in 96, so they're yeah. still basically the same age. Yeah. So it's nice for that, because he still looks like the same Captain Sulu. Well, he looks really good, honestly. Like, Well, the thing is... For a guy who was like, what was he? He must have been like, what, 40, 50? Yeah. Oh, he was 50 or 60 by that point. So was he really? Well, then he looks fantastic. He is aged better than, I think, any of those yeah. guys. But um, I mean, also, you're used to seeing him now. I am used to seeing him now. Like, and, and this is now a further 20 years on. Yeah. So you're you're comparing him to George Takei of of 2016, which is not exactly fair. No. I mean, if you compare him to to George Takei of 1966, he looks a little old. Yes. You know. But no, he was he was good. Like, I wish he, there'd been more of him. He was there a little bit, and he was good in everything he did. But he just didn't have much to do. He's mostly in the background. Is what really it's because here's the thing. Like, you know, with trials and tribulations, they had to work around. You know, they put the characters in the episode, so they couldn't really do a whole lot of interacting. Mm-hmm. You've got George Takei. Yeah. Fucking use him. Yeah. Uh, he is seventy eight now, which means he would have been fifty eight. Well, it looks really good. When that was made. Yeah. he Like I said, he's aged well. I'm looking at a modern picture of him now, and he still looks good for fucking 78 years yep. old. No, George Takei will be alive forever. I, 
he'll probably outlive the rest of them, yeah. That, you know, if, if I had to put money down on yeah. the last original series guy. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they had originally planned for Nichelle Nichols to have a brief uh, appearance. Oh, man, that would have been Well, awesome. no, 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 no. This was because this, the part sucked. Oh. I'm, I'm with I'm with her on this one. Were they going to give her uh, Rand's role? No, 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 no. She was going to, because she was, this was concurrent with Star Trek Six. Sure. She was going to be on the Enterprise A, basically on the view screen, giving exposition about what's happening on the Enterprise to oh. the Excelsior. Hey, guys, Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy have been captured by Klingons, blah, 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 blah. And that's it. Like, it would have been one exposition scene over a view screen. She wouldn't have physically appeared with any of the other actors. And she's just like, I, I don't mind. Come to me if you have a real offer. But this is crap. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I'm I'm totally with Nichelle Nichols on that one. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they should have offered her something good. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, like, they just, they had him. He was good. He felt captain-y. Mm-hmm. And he felt, you know, like... We only saw Captain Sulu that one time. Yeah. And this is the first time we got to see a little more of him, and it would have been a really good way for him to sort of flesh out, like, really show off. Yeah, I've got a command presence. I could, you can totally take me seriously as a guy in charge of a ship. Yeah. No, the but, the few yeah. bits we get with him interacting with Tuvok are so good. Yeah, they are. There's a, there's a great bit at the very beginning mm-hmm. where it's Tuvok's, like, first deep space assignment. Yeah. And he, he makes this special Vulcan blend tea. To give to Sulu because mm-hmm. he knows he drinks tea. And I'm thinking the whole time, wow, tea. He's drinking tea in the very first scene we see him in. And they're actually setting that scene up. It's a nice bit of like, like, uh, you know, deep continuity to like the teacup that shatters when Praxis explodes mm-hmm. is a teacup that Tuvok handed him. Yeah. It was, it was a nice little callback. I like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Rand gives him shit for like kissing up like, oh, first day on the job and you're already trying to like, you know kiss up to the captain you're not gonna have time to drink that you know you're due on the bridge in five minutes it's not for me it's for the captain i've observed that captain sulu drinks a cup of tea each morning i thought he might enjoy a vulcan blend oh i see trying to make lieutenant in your first month i wish i'd have thought of that when i was your age took me three years just to make ensign i assure you i have no ulterior motive whatever you say ensign see you on the bridge You've never brought me tea. Get to Rand in a minute. Ugh. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. But the thing is, and this is my good thing, I liked that they set this around the events of Star Trek Six. I already said that. Mm-hmm. But it was a good use of the sets, which apparently they had to reconstruct, I was reading. Oh, no kidding. These are not the standing sets, which makes sense. It's yeah. five years later. Yeah, they, no, that, they, yeah. They're shooting, I, I imagine, the, the blast parts of Next Gen and then DS9 and Voyager in the same area. Like, they use the same bits of, of the Paramount set, but they're constantly striking the sets and rebuilding them every week for different alien planets sure. and so forth and different parts of Voyager, different parts of DS9. I get it. There's no way they're going to leave the sets up. Mm-hmm. But they had a lot of the pieces in storage, which they reassembled, and they got a lot of the actors back, even the incidental guys. Oh, no kidding. Like uh, Beltane, the uh, the dude who ends up dying. Oh yeah, 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 is was actually in Star Trek Six. He he has like a handful of lines where he's like, you know, hailing frequencies open, Captain. Crap like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a good use of, like it it fleshed out what I like. I understand why Star Trek Six focused on the Enterprise because that's what you want. But we saw this whole like Sulu's got a whole other life now. What's going on there? And. For what little they showed it, they did a good job of showing, like, here's here's the rest of his crew. Here's what kind of a captain he is. Here's life on his ship. Yep. And that was, it was very well done. They also did a good job of recycling 
some of the effects from Star Trek Six, which gave it a bigger budget look because oh, yeah. they already they already shot on a movie budget, like the the Praxis explosion wave and some of the ship shots. There's a and there's like, a shot in this that has the the Excelsior and uh, a, a Klingon bird of prey. And I well, just, no, that was a new shot. I think was it but, really? Because I got a note here. It's just like God, that bird of prey is gorgeous. I, what they may have done is, I mean, it could have been a deleted scene, mm. but the I don't think the Excelsior ever was just facing off against a bird of prey. Like, it's fighting one at the end. Yeah. But, um, no, I don't think there's, I don't think that shot existed. Maybe they took a shot of just the Excelsior and put the bird of prey in there. No, maybe. But it, it doesn't matter. The point is, it's, um, also it's a cruiser, not a bird of prey. The bird of prey is like the, the bent one. Oh, yeah. Like the green one with the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, oh, now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I just, someone's going to write in. Well, I don't care that much. You know what? It's a Klingon ship. Yeah, you do 257 of these, and yeah. then uh, then I'll listen to what you have to say. No, I probably still won't. No. <laughs> no, I, I, it was great. And <laughs> Kang just tell up. you that your show isn't very good. <laughs> Kang showed up, which was great. Yeah, that was awesome. Which, again, wasted opportunity. They got, uh, that's Michael Ansara, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe so. I will never stop confusing Kang, Kor, and Kola. Yeah. Like, uh, actually, how did you get back in here? Get out of here. It's the one who did the voice of Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Because you could hear the aura in his voice. The cold, icy coldness of cold the of cold. Cold of the cold, cold Batman. I'm cold, Batman. Look how pointy my nipples are. Batman. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Hello. Um, oh, there's something I haven't gotten a chance to do yet. I was gonna, why, how, how have you not done this yet? We've gotten really far into the episode, and I haven't done a single thing. Also, I, got, I, I had the perfect setup for this, too, which is... Mm. He blew my mind. I'm tripping balls. (laughs) Thanks, Brennan. Your great writing is making me trip balls. I'm blowing your mind. Your mind. Yeah. But yeah, it was great to see like all this original series stuff, but they just didn't really use it very well. But but visually and the actors, Mm -hmm. uh, all but one, Uh were used very well. Yep. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Okay. So, um... So, in addition to the appearance of uh, our old friend George Takei, mm-hmm. we have someone else from the original series. Mm-hmm. Someone named Grace Lee Whitney. Yep. Who, let's just go with not as good. I think you can take as out, out of that. Not good. You know what? I'm going to add go. an at all to the end of that <laughs> sentence. Yeah, that that, that works. Um, no, she had a couple of really super wooden line reads and that just like... I don't know what it is. Oh, hello, who are you? Yeah, no, first of all, she sounds like a granny. Mm, that's okay. She's got granny voice, just, oh, Tuvok, you're making tea. Well, I just made some fresh baked cookies I can put on that tray for you. That doesn't bother me because, I mean, the only other woman we have from that era still acting at that point was Nichelle Nichols, and she had a bit of a granny thing going at that point, mm. too. They're, that's just, they're old. That's I don't okay. know. It just, it stood out so much to me in this episode. That didn't bother me. It was it's, all her wooden. It was, okay. This, I I mean, I mean no disrespect to you or the person I'm about to mention here. Mm-hmm. I want to preface that. You'll, you'll take this the way it's meant. I just want to make sure. Okay. We had your mom read a line oh, or sketch yeah. once. <laughs> which, which was exactly what we needed. Uh-huh. It worked for the sketch, yeah. but it really did sound like here's... They really must have gotten Matt's mom, because that's not an actor. No, no. 
And that's what Grace Lee Whitney is like. It's like somebody's mom showed up and, and was in a sketch. <laughs> Mrs. Braga came in for the day. Yeah, exactly. Oh, mom. Well, well the woman who was supposed to play uh, Yeoman Rand is, never showed up. So how about you get in front of the camera? Here, you just put on put this wicker basket on your head. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll just pass you off. No, she just, she... Uh, not good. No. Okay, here's the thing. So we're in... So this all happens via a mind meld memory. Yes. Which is their super contrived Brandon Braga way of getting Janeway into this scene. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, again, the setup is stupid, but if if the net result is Tuvok and Janeway hanging out on the Excelsior in the movie era, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If we had just gotten there in the teaser, that would have been better. But all right. And we even see her in a movie era uniform, which is awesome. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And this is what I wanted to talk about a minute ago. I feel like her reaction to all of that is very much the way Dax's was in Trials and Tribulations. The sort of, this is so cool. Yeah. I feel like if, if she had been in that situation where she actually went back in time, she would be all about checking out the equipment and checking out the ship Mm -hmm. and meeting the guys. Like she would, she's into that stuff. And I feel like that's one thing that sort of links all of the captains together and all their different personalities is they're all into the history and legacy of, of, uh, of, of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say Star Trek, no Starfleet. Um, I, and I feel like she was kind of into that, but there's a scene where for some reason, I don't understand. They probably explained it seven times, but I don't know. Um, Tuvok's dream meld memory version of Sulu suddenly becomes aware of Janeway being there, which doesn't make any sense. Nope. Because it's not Sulu, it's Tuvok's memory of Sulu. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I was thinking about that. It's like, it's turned from a memory almost into a lucid dream. Which still doesn't make any sense. Which doesn't make any sense, but, like, it's the closest I can figure to what the fuck is actually going on. But, like, it's ridiculous. Okay, like, but she should be take it a st- she should Go be ahead. moving through this like it's the fucking like uh, Tuvok is the ghost of Christmas past or something. Right, she's she's witnessing and and commenting, but he's running the show. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so they're like, oh well, we better. He's he's suspicious, so we better beat Ryoman R- or Commander Rand now mm-hmm. over the head and steal her uniform. What? Yep. What? Yep. Fucking I, the me- uh, they beat uh, up they beat up a memory so they could steal its uniform. Can't like, I mean you know. Can't he imagine a uniform that's for her? What I was in his say. memory, like, nope. They have to bonk Yeoman Rand on the head. She's give give her respect. She's Commander Rand now. Uh, no, I mean look, Grace Lee Whitney sucks, but the character of Rand uh, went went from being a you know sexually assaulted. Uh, yeoman, mm-hmm. like who brought coffee, and and rose up to a pretty high rank. All right, I got to give her credit there. All right, I just, the actor couldn't sell it, but but character wise, like Rand did pretty good for herself. I like to think that all those like little mini skirted coffee girls from the Enterprise are fucking commanders, and or as as Amanda said, they eventually became all those bitchy admirals like Nechev. <laughs> eventually, yeah. they they all pulled themselves up by their wicker hair and and rose up to become high ranking people who could bitch people like that around. That's great. I never thought of that before. But I I was just like the first part of it, just the fact that I didn't think Yeoman was a path to that. Mm-hmm. So it was cool, you know. I like that. Again, 
<laughs> this is Rand I'm talking about, not Grace Lee Whitney. No. I, you have to separate the two. <laughs> um, What was I going to say? Oh, but I, so, yeah, we're in this memory and just they bonk her over the head and steal her uniform. Oh, my God. It's not I, good. No. it's the In fact, it's the opposite of good. I would call it bad. That's that's probably wise. Very, very bad. Uh, speaking of bad, what was your bad thing? Um, so we keep getting um, Tuvok's weird memory of a little girl falling off of a cliff. Which is a disease, apparently. Yes, this, it's little girl falls off a cliff disease. Sure, um, give gen- seeing a give memory of it. <laughs> hundreds of people are killed by it every year. Please give generously. Um, <laughs> so we see that little girl fall off a cliff about 85 times in the episode, and it mm-hmm. never ever, ever stops being funny. I didn't get that. Every fucking time. The the, the green screening is not good. It it's not. Looks, just, it looks exactly like Wiley Coyote falling off a cliff, like that stock footage that they would always use of him just like... No, I, I get that, but I, I don't know. Just every t- I just, I didn't... Okay, so I tried to lay in to the horrible nonsense techno babble in my summary and i think i basically covered it, but seriously just to be clear i didn't make any of that up the disease mm-hmm. hides in your brain as a fake memory of a girl falling off a cliff it's from what i could pick up uh, it's like a parasite and like it lives in your brain as a repressed memory so what it, the reason it's a little girl falling off a cliff is that it's like it's supposed to be a horrible thing that your brain represses, so it can hide in your subconscious. All of this is what the episode tell, told us, by the way, and it, it it is exactly as stupid as it sounds. And then when someone dies, it moves into the next person and lives in their brain. So when the dude, uh, when the Russian dude or whatever dies on mm-hmm. the Excelsior, it, it passes it on to Tuvok somehow which is what which is why he's flashing back to these particular events because it happened there yes it's but idiotic what what absolutely completely stupid it's pretty terrible that is this is what the episode told us again way more of that and explaining that and way less of sulu versus kang which would have been awesome yep the one little bit we had of that Mm -hmm. which was uh okay so in star trek six um Kirk and Bones are trying to figure out who assassinated the Klingon Chancellor, and they go over there to help. The Klingons arrest them, put them on trial, and then send them to Rurapente. Yes. In the meantime, while all this is going on, I buy this. They didn't say it in the movie, but it's a good retcon. Mm. The Excelsior is like, why don't we just go to Kronos and rescue them? Yeah. Like, before they even go to this trial, which we all know is just going to be a bullshit show trial. Which is totally a Sulu thing. Yeah, Sulu worked under Kirk for years. Yeah. He's not going to listen to the rule. And there's some nice early, like, young Tuvok saying, Captain, this is wrong. Yeah, it's we're, this uh, is we're trying to not be at war with the Klingons anymore, and you're not making this easier. And regulations say, he's like, shut up about regulations. No, no, it's a great line. Regulations be damned. Yeah. It's fucking great. Like, that no, would have been my quote if I had to. It was, it was a really good one. But, um, so, so. We're now following the Excelsior as it's secretly trying to infiltrate Klingon space yep. and rescue the captain and Bones, which is like, that's great. That's a that's a great addition to what was already a pretty good story. Mm-hmm. I buy that. I buy that the Enterprise, like having to stay where they are and solve this mystery of the of the phantom torpedoes, like is not the only 
effort happening. Yeah. There's other stuff happening at the same time. That's totally cool. Like Kirk, for all his like being nice to his friends thing, surely at this point in his career must have had people who trained under him who are now loyal to him. Oh yeah. So I totally buy this. Um, the the ones that finally left the Enterprise anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm responsible for 359 people on this ship, and they all love me. Yep. No, but I I feel like that that's the case for any of these guys probably. No, like, I, I, late that that's definitely a thing I would buy from. Yeah. Anyone so all of that is fine. Like it's it's a retcon, but it's a retcon I buy and I like. Mm-hmm. And so so while Sulu's doing this, uh, a Klingon ship discovers him, and Kang who, you know, faced off against Kirk and will later uh, meet up with Dax and, and the others, mm. uh, the other Klingon guys, is like, uh, hey, guy, you're lost. Uh, let's let's get you back out of our space. Why why don't we do that? Yeah. And he's, it's you know, diplomacy he's, from the Klingon, by the way. Yeah. No, he sounds like he still says he says it in a tough guy way, but it's still very clear. Like, you're not welcome here. I'm not going to kill you, but you got to go. I would make it my business to escort you out of Klingon space. Yeah. And Sulu's like handles it really well. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll do that. You know and then he comes good up. To have friends in the Klingon Empire, so please. Yeah. And then he um, <laughs> and then they figure out a way to like detonate a torpedo like an inch off the Klingons uh, uh hull mm-hmm. like blinding them knocking out their sensors and then just taking off so long sucker it's such a kirk move it was such a like sulu like totally learned this on the enterprise like well this is not the correct thing to do but nope. i'm gonna go rescue my friends so yeah. long yeah. guess who and i was... learned to be a captain from and that's what i wanted to see more of mm-hmm. That was such a great moment. Why couldn't we get more of that unless of sitting in sickbay explaining Why what was happening to Tuvok? Why don't you tell me more Tuvok? about the parasite that's infected Tuvok's brain, Doctor? Well, I'm glad you asked, Captain, because as you can see from this detailed uh, chart... And the thing is, I love the Doctor, mm-hmm. but this isn't his episode. No. He had, he had one good little bit at the very beginning. Because Tuvok sees this memory and he's got to leave, like, got to leave the bridge and figure out what's going on. And the doctor lists off all the bullshit Star Trek shit that could be happening to him. <laughs> well, it could be echoes of an alternate reality or it could be some this thing or that thing. Who knows? I, listen, we live in a really weird universe, okay? But, I, you know, you and I both are fans of when these people are aware of the fact mm-hmm. that they live in a weird universe. Yes. No, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. And so Just I liked that. People being but other than that, of like uh, a history of a show that's like, okay, we do something weird every fucking week. We live in yeah, a it, weird world. It contributes to less to the reset button thing mm-hmm. when you realize, oh, these guys have lived through this stuff and remember it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a new adventure every week that everyone's memory goes blank after it happens. Yeah. That's nice. But other than that, I just uh, don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, it, it just, none of this had to, and, and I was reading in Memory Alpha, apparently the original concept for this episode had nothing to do with Sulu. They just sort of joined it together. Oh. And it felt like it, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. Like, it felt like they took this different, because the, originally the episode would have just been about Tuvok trying to figure, I guess originally it was Janeway. Mm-hmm. It was happening to Janeway and Tuvok had to meld and figure it out with her. I, this is like, this is another thing, you know, where it's like, Trials and Tribulations was like a well-planned homage to like the original series. This just feels like, well, we're doing this script. That's uh, uh, Sulu. Hey, Brandon. What? Are, yeah. Hey, Brandon. George is the only one who returned our calls. Can you uh, tack him in here? Also, Grace Lee Whitney is outside scratching at the door asking to be let in. <laughs> well, okay. 
Bring her in and get her a cup of coffee, poor woman. <laughs> um, what else? Um, I, I did again. I liked all the all the use of the old sets and the use of the the, the footage and that sort of thing. And I liked um, like I I didn't like a lot. Of, I I don't like going in the mine stuff ever because no, that's one of Braga's really like good. things, and, and he, I don't like it. God, he loves it. He does all the time. But I will say, there was some good dream logic where they'd be standing on the bridge of the Excelsior talking about a thing, and then he'd say, later in my quarters, and immediately they would jump to his yep. quarters. Like, there was some good... The scene would change instantly as they as he was thinking mm-hmm. about a different place. That I, was pretty cool. I also like the way Tuvok is, um, like, he's the narrator, but he's also himself... In it? it like, yeah, it's sort of a first-person narrator. Yeah, so I like that he'll, he'll move from talking to, uh, to uh, Janeway to just being a part of the scene. No, and all that was done really well, but I would say that's more in the direction. Like, it's in the script. Yeah. But it was directed very effectively, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would. I really hope that uh, uh, the the bunks that we see Tuvok in is not friend, but uh, Russian guy or whatever. Uh, Dimitri Beltane. Yeah, there you go. I really hope that those are like the, we're in the middle of a mission uh, quarters, because they suck. Well, no, that's Junior Crewman get that. That's true. Junior, like he's he's an ensign who's been he. They even said he's been in Starfleet for like, or he's been out of the academy for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like this is his very first assignment. Those so fucking, like those, those fucking bunk beds, man. Like, ugh. but they're they're pre-established. Mm-hmm. No, I we guess that's true. In, yeah, we saw those in six also where they were searching for the for the oh, magnetic boots. That's boost. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so in this era, that's that's what under crewman got, and the the officers got their own quarters. Makes sense. So, yeah, works for me. Yeah. Uh, oh, and we got uh, we got we had some nice Vulcan like fleshing out the the Vulcan stuff. Yeah, in this one, um, apparently they played Jenga to calm their memories down, so that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So, Tuvok just stacking blocks, like trying to, like oh, I'm I gotta calm myself down. I'm building a castle. I I don't know. I didn't love that, but at least it's you know I I was reading apparently he like uh, Tim Russ had a bunch of notes like this isn't very Vulcan this isn't very Vulcan can yeah. we please change this and they did oh nice which, which I always like I like Cass uh, comes in and is like what are you building and he's like it will uh, what is being built will arrive at its own time I'm like yeah but you're probably gonna get a tower or a castle yeah because really look at like, your blocks it's it's like Lincoln logs yeah. you're building a log cabin that's you could build literally anything as long as that that thing is a log cabin. Yeah. Um, what else? I, oh, I liked there were there was some good Tuvok Janeway stuff. Like, yes, he, he he needed to meld with someone, and he's like, I could ask one of the other Vulcans on the crew, but I'd rather ask you. Yeah. Like, aw. It's like, well, it's you, when you do this ritual, it's supposed to be done with a, with a family member, but he doesn't. Have right, any, and so. he doesn't have any family, but she's the next best thing. Yeah. <laughs> also, he mentions so that, so we get some of his backstory too. Mm-hmm. Part of it is he his parents kind of forced him to join Starfleet when he was young. Yep. He was like 20-something in this. And uh, he did it briefly and hated it and quit and did the Colonar thing, which is what Spock was doing in the motion picture, mm-hmm. that purge uh, yourself of yeah. all emotions thing. And then <laughs> what he said was, uh, but then I uh, hit Pon Far. And unfortunately, my religious isolation was interrupted by meeting my hot wife. <laughs> he, he actually says, unfortunately, like the rest of that is me. But uh, un- unfortunately, I had to stop because I met my wife. <laughs> you couldn't say that better, maybe? He's like, no, 
This was Un- this is right. Unfortunately, I had to stop living in a cave and purging myself of emotions because I had you to know, purge myself of not having sex because the mother of my children showed up in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just like as we get further and further down in your notes, you get into just more and more yelling. Yep. Well, because I'm waiting and waiting and he's finally there and then it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Fucking Braga. He's just terrible. He is. Why did they give it to him? I said that, but I'll say it again. Why the, did they give it to him? Because he's the showrunner. No, he's not. Well, he's the Voyager guy. He he didn't even do the pilot. Like, he was away when they set everything up. No, but I mean, like, that that was what it was. Like, you know. No, he wasn't the showrunner. Oh. That was what I'm saying. He's one of the, he might be like the head writer or whatever, no. but there was another guy over him. And I want to say it was Pillar or maybe Jerry Taylor. I'm not positive about that, but I know Braga was not the head guy. I know those two are probably above him. I definitely don't know if Jerry Jerry Taylor could have done a better job. Jerry Taylor, the one thing Amanda pointed out to me that I, I, she's right, is Jerry Taylor will also do terrible bullshit, but she doesn't spend so much time explaining it. She'll just get on with it, Mm. and that makes it a little better. Yeah. Just, all right, fine, whatever. And again... If this had been a stupid setup, like Trials and Tribulations was, but we'd spent most of it with Sulu, that would have been okay. Mm-hmm. But we, he was barely in it, yeah. and that just really annoyed me. Anything else? No, I think that's everything. I don't have a whole lot oh. of notes on this, except for I keep calling Tuvok Tuv for some reason. I noticed that. I'm not sure why you were doing that. It's a speed thing. It's This is where Bever came from, too. I thought you were just, like, because you're really trying to make certain nicknames stick for these guys, and most of them aren't working. No. You can't, you can't force that shit. Like, Chuck worked well because it just sort of happened. Yeah, and Harold has clearly caught on with everybody. And Harold, yeah. I mean, Harold, look at him. He's a Harold. He's a Harold. Tell oh, also, also, George Takei said, um, he, he, I wish I could have worked with Garrett Wong. <laughs> Which, I, maybe it's because, you know, Asian dudes in Star Trek bonding. I'm sure that's what it is. Or it could be dirty old man wanting to work with the hot young guy. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That, that was my first thought is because I, I don't particularly find him attractive, but a lot of the people who go for dudes do uh-huh. that I know. Yeah. And Takei is very famously gay. So maybe ooh, I'd like to work with him. Or to put it another way, hello. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my. This, this may be the, the final time you get to naturally do a Takei yeah. impression. So if you got any, like, Anything in the chamber, you better... Uh, it was nice to come back one last time to be tripping balls. Why, did I blow your mind? I, no, go away. No. Don't call me, I'll call you. But I'm not call going you. to call you. No, you. Because I don't like you. Like two. Tuvok. Remember to look for me on Twitter. I'm very popular. And Facebook. And Facebook. Oh, my. All right. So that's all for that. Yep. Bit of a disappointment. Not great episode. There's two not great episodes with some really good stuff in them. You know? Yeah. And I, the thing is, I, I was having kind of a not great week. And it was like I put off watching the episodes. And sometimes I'll be a little kinder to episodes if I'm having a good. Like, I won't deny that my mood affects these, these reviews sometimes. I'd I'm a human. I'd say that's stand- Gosh, Al. Your emotions affect the things that you do? I know. No one is like that. Everyone. Well, but yeah, I mean, I, some people might expect us to be impartial. We are not. No. If I had a shitty week and the episodes don't wow me, I'm going to say this sucked. Mm-hmm. Even if it didn't suck, it's just this was an average episode, but I'm mad, so it's a terrible <clears> episode. <throat> and that's kind of like, you know, 
It wasn't a horrible week, so I don't completely hate them, but it was a below average week, so I was a little annoyed. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. um, next week, two more episodes. Looking over season three, we were talking about this earlier. I recognize exactly one of them by title, so I have very little idea of what, what we got ahead, which is yeah. kind of good, but also not good because it's like, well, the Sulu one's not happening. Any- we don't have anything to look forward to, really. Yeah. If it surprises us, it's going to be a total surprise now. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like, I guess that's kind of good. It is, but what if there's no other good ones? I really hope that's not true. I, I you know, glass half empty, I know. Mm-hmm. But they, maybe, who knows? We'll see. Uh, okay, so I got a, I got a few things to go over here real yes. quick. Uh, first of all, we have been granted a panel mm-hmm. at the Emerald City Comic Con this year. Very excited about that. It is not for post-atomic horror, however. No, I applied a- for one. They decided, uh, I, I applied for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And they gave us one for um, our now defunct Sarcastic Voyage podcast, which we, we have tons and tons of sketches that go over really well with, with the, the convention crowd. Yes. And so we're going to do an hour of pop culture focused sketches, mm-hmm. like like a, in, in the form of a table read, if, in the form of like. Uh, if you were at Emerald City last year. Uh, oh, yeah. Same thing. Similar. New it, material. It went all, really well. All new, all different material. Yeah. But um, and a bunch of different performers, a bunch of the local people we've been working with, like mm-hmm. seasoned comedy professionals and then us and and then us yes um so that will be the saturday of of that weekend yeah, saturday so april 9th saturday are sold out but if you're already coming please if you're already going yeah. to emerald city please come yes absolutely uh because of that and because of because emerald city is always a big promotional push for us every year mm-hmm. and we have friends coming in from out of town and such we will be doing a post-atomic horror live show yes at the Pocket Theater in Seattle yes. uh, on April 8th, on, on the Friday before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have exact, like, we're talking about early in the evening, I, I, I want to say 5 or 5.30, something like that. Yeah. I haven't completely confirmed that yet. I'm waiting for an email back but uh, from the people at the Pocket, but I, it's going to be that Friday. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like in the evening. So uh, more details will come as soon as I have them for that. Uh, also, watching, we, you know, the website or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it on postadamacora.com. I'll put it on uh, my, my Twitter. I'm sure Matt will then retweet it. I'll put it on our Tumblr. Like yep. it'll, it'll be available. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. Uh, every year we do the Emerald City thing. Every year it costs money. So we're going to do a fundraiser. It's going to be really low key this time. I'm going to mention it from time to time, but we're not going to have a bunch of prizes. We're not going to have a bunch of whatever. Just like yeah. donate some money if you can. Uh, details for that will be at postatomichorror.com. So check that out. If if you enjoy the show, if you feel like you'd be interested in dropping a couple of bucks our way, we would we would like that. Yes. Because this this costs money. Now that Matt and I are a little closer, but still far away, we have to travel to see each other and mm-hmm. do stuff together. Um, I, I went down there to do the, the supplemental last week. He'll be coming up here for Emerald City. Yes. So any, anything to offset those costs a bit. Uh, th- there's all kinds of, you know, server costs and, and uh, registration for the con next year and yeah. all that stuff. If you could help us out with that. that anything you could do. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's it for now. Yeah. So say the thing. See you, folks. Oh, you could have said it as Sulu. See you, folks. That's better. Drunk Sulu. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2016. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this.